So we're going to look at the practice of the Sabbath and we're going to be looking at this over the next couple of weeks. And it's funny because I kind of feel like I came to the young adults and I said, I am a, a work in progress and I haven't mastered this, but I want to. And the Lord's been speaking to me about it. And we're a year and a half later and I need to confess to you I am a work in progress and the Lord is speaking to me about this and I haven't mastered it yet. If this is something that you, when you hear it, messes with your head and makes you struggle, I need to confess to you that it messes with my head and it makes me struggle. We have worked for a year and a half on trying to make the Sabbath work in our household and we have not mastered it yet. With... (laughs) kids sport and wanting to allow them to do all of the things that we want them to experience and not to resent us it has been incredibly difficult so I've had to move our Sabbath around all over the place and it currently sits for me on a Monday a Sunday night to Monday night which as you guys know is not great for kids it's great for family time but it's not great for the kids so Look, here's the thing, I think, when it comes down to this. If we want to step into what God is calling us to do, sometimes it takes a little bit of a step and then a little bit more of a step. And we try and go, yes, Lord, I want to follow you in this. And I want to learn as I go and get closer and closer to what you're asking me to do. And that doesn't mean that we're going to perfect it within a day or a week or a month or even potentially 18 months, but we're always on this journey of going, I'm not letting go of this thing. I'm going to I'm gonna seek to obey you in it as best I possibly can. So a step is better than no step, yeah? Great. So this all started, and I'm going to try and motor today because I'm trying to put four sessions that I put together for the Young Adults Camp into two. But Basically, this all sort of started for me with three significant moments where I saw the Sabbath in action. And the first one was when I was in Israel in 2019, before all of the nonsense, and we didn't even know the nonsense was coming. And I was there in 2019 with a tour and my sisters, and we were there across Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And it's basically the Sabbath of Sabbaths for the Jewish people. And everything shut down. I mean, we were there for a couple of Sabbaths, but that Sabbath, it was just full on. So the only thing that was happening out and about were crazy tourists like us who had to be guided by a Palestinian Christian because the Jewish people shut down. Everything shut down. The television stations shut down. So you'd flick on the TV and there would literally be a happy Yom Kippur sign up on the TV. There was just nothing going on. No cars on the roads. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't use the hotel pool because there was nobody there to organise the hotel pool. Everything just shut down. And I can remember thinking at the time, how amazing is this that, like I knew that that Jewish people stopped on on Shabbat. I didn't realise that it was so all-encompassing. And so kind of seeing that straight up. The second thing was that I I listened a lot to a podcast by an Orthodox Jew and he's a fascinating guy because I would say he probably runs at full pelt in his life uh, more than anybody else I've heard. He talks fast, he lives fast, he everything, like his life is just absolutely jam-packed full and yet he seems to have a really healthy, balanced life, family life. I go, well, how can you do that if your working life is so intense? And it's because of Shabbat. 
Sabbath. It's because of Shabbat. He stops every single week. There's no technology. There's no phones. There's no opportunity for anybody to get in contact with him. He reads. He spends time with his family. And it's this equalizing nature in his life. And to hear somebody as manic as that have a balanced life, I went, this actually could be helpful for me. And the third thing was really just the power of slowing that I think we discovered over the course of COVID. I think with the lockdowns, I was frustrated by them. But if you're anything like me, I was both frustrated and blessed by them. Um, just that opportunity to slow and to not have anything that I, anywhere that I had to be, any travel that I had to do, anything, any place that I had to go or take the kids to or anything like that, everything just slowed. And I discovered a sense of connection with God and spirituality that had been lacking from my extremely busy life. So with those kind of um, three things, and on top of that, I felt like the Lord just started to speak to me and say, where is the Sabbath in your world? Where is the Sabbath in your life? I actually want to teach you about this. And I think the thing for us is that in our Western culture, we worship consumerism. And we worship busyness. We have this whole thing about achievement, getting things done, and we wear busyness like a badge, you know? And you know this because when you say to somebody, how are you going? Uh, inevitably, well, these days they'll say, oh, I'm doing fine, I don't have COVID. But once you get past that, they'll go, oh, I'm really busy or I'm really tired. Those are the things that we like to say. Not necessarily, well, it's not because they're I'm sure that they are true, but we say them because it makes us feel somehow important, like we're running around and if we look manic and we look like we're doing a whole lot of things, then there's a sense of importance that comes from that. There's, a, there's something within our culture that says you should be busy, you should be manic, you should be tired, you should be running at full speed and burning the candle at both ends and somehow that's going to make you an acceptable part of society and it's unhelpful. Corrie Ten Boom says this. She says, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Wow. If the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Busyness has the same effect as sin. It disconnects us from the Spirit of God. Because what happens is we, we go manic, we run, we race around, and we end up going, oh, look, the Lord will be there when I've got time. But time never comes. And so we end up disconnecting ourselves just because of our busyness from the Lord. And then when you add to that, that our, our innate human nature has a desire for more. We always want to achieve more, to gain more. Even if we've got enough and if, even if we should be content with what we have, we want more. And the advertising sector knows this and plays on it. So this, this guy, Paul Mazer from the Lehman Brothers, in 1927, he said this. He said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old has completely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And so this is the kind of the basis even of advertising that somehow we would be moved into a place where we would seek more, desire more, want more, even than what we need. Um, and, and we're being played on for that. And so this intense kind of rush that we've built in our nature has been given to us so that people can make money. 
And so what happens is that we are, our, our souls are in a constant state of want, a constant state of desire. Our souls have learned to never be satisfied. And, and so we strive for more, we push ourselves to achieve it, we're busier, we're tireder, we're less satisfied, we're stressed, we're emotionally drained. And this is kind of the nature that we took into the COVID space when all of a sudden we were told, stop. And in some ways I think that was good for us to recognise how bad the rat race had become because a lot of us did not know that about ourselves. And so pulled into this place where all of a sudden we're told to stop. I have a, a phone. It is an iPhone 7. So I am a long way behind the current. I don't like change, so I don't like to update. I don't like, I don't want to, I've got 10,000 photos on there. I don't want a new phone in case I lose something. And so I just exist with my phone. But my phone does not actually really cope because it wants me to update because Apple wants me to buy a new one. And so my phone tends to just drain of battery really quickly. And so what I do is I just plug it in for half an hour until it gets to 25% and then I use it again and then I plug it in for half an hour until it gets to 25% and I use it again. And on this ridiculous thing goes. But really what's happening is I'm not getting the full benefit of my phone that I would do if it had a full charge and a full battery. And this is what we tend to do with our lives is that we just go from I'm, I'm going full bore to, oh, you know, I can't really cope anymore, so I'll just take the foot off the pedal just a little bit, have a little bit of a rest, and then just keep going. And so we're not actually ever recharging and filling ourselves. And what a Sabbath does is it gives us the opportunity to fully recharge in God, fully recharge every week and ensure that we're running at full capacity uh, for what he's calling us to. So the biblical Hebrew for the word Sabbath is Shabbat which literally means to cease or stop. That's the literal meaning of the word Shabbat. And in Genesis, the beginnings of, the, of Sabbath and this concept of Shabbat starts with a creation story, as we heard from Catherine. So the rhythm of the creation story is evening, then morning, the first day. Evening, then morning, the second day. So the Jewish tradition, therefore, begins every day at sunset. And the reason for this is that they sleep first, they rest first, and then work from that place. So Genesis 2 verse 3 says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. It's the only thing, actually, that when God created, he made holy. Weird, right? Because we kind of go, we're the pinnacle of creation, you know? And God, God created man and he created woman and he made them holy. No, he didn't. And we know this to be true. He did not make us holy. He made the Sabbath holy. It's the only thing that he made holy in the creation story. And holy means being set apart and dedicated to him. So God sat back on day seven. He rested because what he had created was good. And he didn't just need a break from his work. It wasn't like God went, oh, man, gosh, that was hard. So I just need a rest. I mean, he did need to rest. But the Bible tells us that he looked at his creation. He delighted in his creation. He saw that it was good. 
and he rested. And so there's the sense that on the seventh day, on the first day of Shabbat, that God designed for himself and then gives to us as something that we can join in on. It was actually a day of delighting, not just resting, but delighting. He was satisfied with his work. So the restoration of a Sabbath day came not only from rest, but from delighting. And then as we move on, so the Lord had his Sabbath and we don't hear anything about humans engaging in Sabbath after that until we get to Exodus. The context for giving the Sabbath to humanity is the release from slavery. So they were oppressed in Egypt and they were in slavery. They were oppressed 400 years in slavery in Egypt, working every single day, being driven by their masters every single day for 400 years. And then they get released from slavery. They're out in the wilderness. God is creating them into a new nation. And he says to them, you must observe this day. Why? Well, they'd never ever had a day off. For generations, these guys didn't understand what it was to rest. They had been driven by their slave masters. They had been working their backsides off for years and they had literally no idea how to rest, how to stop, how to cease, how to delight. And so the Lord gives them the Sabbath. Now, I think this is a really important thing for us to understand because so often we look at the law, the Torah, and we go, it was bad, therefore Jesus. No, It was good, but Jesus is better. The Torah was given to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, as something to engage with them as a gift from God so that they would become more like him, so that they would be able to express and represent his character to the broken and the dying world around them. That was the reason the law was given. He wanted them to stand out as being a chosen people who represented his character. And so he gave them the Torah. And as part of the Torah, as part of the law, the Sabbath was given to them as a gift. And it was a gift to them so that they would learn and understand what it was to stop, to rest, to delight, to worship, and to recalibrate and restore in his presence. So Exodus 16, I don't think this one's on the screen because it was too long and I couldn't be bothered putting it on there. So Exodus 16 says this, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. This is the the manna being given from heaven. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord and you will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. 
Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? I always feel sorry for Moses then, because it's like, well, I did, I did it. It's these guys. They're nuts. They never listen to a word I say. And this is on the screen. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So observing Shabbat helps us remember that all true blessings come from his grace, not our labor. And so the Lord is saying to, he's saying to them, you, you do your stuff, you do what you do all these six days of the week, and then I want you to go and gather all of this, and I'm providing it for you. You're out here in the wilderness, I'm providing it from you. It's literally manna falling from heaven so that you will be nourished and you will be fed and I am looking after you. I want you to gather it. I want you to labor enough to be able to gather it. But here's the truth. I provide for you. You might work, but I'm the one who provides for your needs. And so when it comes to the seventh day and he's told them they have to rest, he provides for that seventh day so that they can. And I think this is a glorious way for us to see the opportunity of having this one day that's set apart for our recharge and our restoration and our delighting and our resting. To be able to come to the Lord and to say, I'm going to set this day aside and I can do that. I don't have to work because I trust in your provision. You've called me to work. You've called me to labor. You've called me to do all of these things. But on this particular day, I show you by not doing that, that I have faith and trust in your provision. It's a powerful statement. Helps us remember all true blessing comes from his grace and not our labor. And so this is sort of the first time that uh, humanity is given the Sabbath as an instruction. But it's about a month or two later, a month or so later, in Exodus chapter 20, that they're given the Ten Commandments. And this is in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, here's a question. I know that we go, oh, we don't have to live by the law anymore because Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. True. We keep all of the Ten Commandments though, don't we? Like, you don't find any Christians walking around going, oh, look, I I don't have to live by the law anymore so I can murder people. Right? I don't have to live by the law anymore so I can take the Lord's name in vain. Right? Except the Sabbath. We don't give a stuff about it. Why is that? We keep all of them except that one. What's the deal with that? I find that extraordinary that there's one. We would keep nine and say, oh, yeah, the Ten Commandments are the lowest common denominator of the law. These are the things that, you know, somebody would do just to be a normal moral person with values, you know, just the very basic 
common denominator of someone who follows God. But we don't worry about the Sabbath. We don't tend to talk about it. And I find that extraordinary. It's the fourth commandment. It's the bridge between the commandments that honour God and those that honour people. So it actually does both. It honours God and it honours people. And it's the only spiritual discipline commanded in the Ten Commandments. So not prayer, not fasting, but the Sabbath. Extraordinary, right? So Jesus later said to the Pharisees, he said, the Sabbath was meant for man, not the man for the Sabbath. And so what's happening here is that we're talking about something that is entirely about God's character. God says to his people, he goes, I'm going to give you something as a gift to you that's going to set you apart. It's going to be your recharge. It's going to be your your restoration. It's going to be your opportunity to delight in your labors. It's going to be your opportunity to delight in me. And it's going to be your opportunity to rest, which is what I have shown you that I did after creation. And so I give it to you as a gift and it's going to set you apart from others and actually set you in good stead compared with the nations around you that just work all of the time. So God gives it as a gift. He says to his people, I want you to have the same blessing I gave myself. The opportunity to restore, to be satisfied with your labor, to connect with your spiritual center, to restore your creativity, to be content with what you've achieved and what you have without striving for more. And so God blessed that day and he made it holy. And so that means... It's not just a day for general rest, it's not just a day off, but it's a day for blessed rest and remembrance. So when he blessed the day and he made it holy, I want to look at this for just a second. Holy means set apart and dedicated to him. The first time holy is used in scripture is right there in Genesis. Sabbath was made holy. Now in ancient Near Eastern cultures, you would find that places were made holy. Pretty much places, you know, temples, sometimes cities, sometimes patches of land, mountains, pilgrimages to places. If you wanted to find something holy, it was something that you had to go to or be at in order to meet with a God or get close to a God. But here, God makes time holy. I love that. He goes, it's a 24-hour period, doesn't matter where you are. That 24-hour period is made holy so that you can be in my presence. And I think that's really cool because we recognize then there's no holy patch of land that we have to make a pilgrimage to in order to find God, but rather there's a 24-hour period in which we will find God. Now, for us, we will go, oh, well, duh, you know, like we've got the Holy Spirit. Of course, we can find God wherever we are. But for the Israelites, that's significant. They didn't have to make a pilgrimage to the tabernacle once it was built. They didn't have to make a pilgrimage to Mount Sinai. They could find God in a 24-hour period because God made the time period holy. And he made it blessed. In other words, rich with blessings and life-giving. So when God created animals and humans and he blessed other things in creation... He also gave them the command to be fruitful and multiply. So what had been blessed, therefore, had the ability to bring forth life. So when he blesses this holy 24-hour period, he also gives it then the ability to bring forth life. 
Uh, and so Sabbath, Shabbat, is meant to be not just set apart as a time spent with God and holy, but also blessed, meaning able to bring forth life, which is where our restoration process, our battery recharge comes from. John Piper says this, he said, when God blesses a man, the man becomes rich with blessings. When he blesses a land, the land becomes rich with blessings. So when he blesses a day, that day becomes rich with blessings. Now, I love that. I don't know that there's any reason that it has to be a Saturday, as it is in the Jewish culture. But when there is a time that's set aside, and and we do this in conjunction with the Lord, and we say, here's this 24-hour period that I'm going to set aside, that holy one set apart for you, holy, then I'm going to ask for you to bless it, make it rich with blessing so that it's life-giving for me, and I get to function so much better and be recharged because of that day. Now, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, And the Lord said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, God's intention was to make us, humanity, mankind, if I'm allowed to say mankind these days, humankind or whatever, if it upsets you, I don't mind being called mankind, in his image and likeness. But here's the fascinating thing to me. He says, let us make them in our image and likeness. But then he says, in his image, he made them. And he repeats image twice. So what's happening here? He's not making us at creation in his image and likeness. At creation, he makes us in his image. But we grow into his likeness. You know who else said that? Paul. We're growing into his likeness. So we're made in the image of God, but we grow into the likeness of God over a period of time. Therefore, Shabbat is about making us like God and forming us into his likeness. Asher Eder, who's a a Jewish rabbi, says this, the Sabbath was not created, that is, the Sabbath is not imposed, neither upon nature nor upon man as an unbreakable law of creation. Rather, it is a divine gift instituted for our benefit and for our own growth toward being in his likeness. As such, it is a permanently ongoing gift of the Torah, it being a gift We can appreciate it or we can reject it and bear the consequences thereof. So he's saying the Lord didn't create it, therefore force it upon us. He gives it to us as a gift so that we can grow into his likeness. And so the more that I'm learning this and seeing this, the more I'm going, well, Lord, I want that. I want to be able to grow more closely into your likeness. If there is a busyness that's dragging me away from you because of the society that we live in and the culture that we live in, the expectations that we have on each other, and there's a possibility of stopping for a 24-hour period of time so that I can grow more into your likeness, let me have it because I want to know what it is to grow more effectively into your likeness. Okay, now further on in Scripture, the law that Israel was given, the Torah, the rest of the Torah, tells us about a Shemitah, Now, you might go, what the heck is that? 
A Shemitah means a Shabbat for the land. So essentially what the Lord says to Israel is he goes, you can have six years of farming your land, and then on the seventh year you need to give it a rest, give your land a rest. Now, apparently, I'm, I don't have a green thumb so I wouldn't know, but apparently farmers and horticulturalists will say this is actually really helpful for creating fertile land, to actually rest the land. And so farmers will rest a paddock after seven years and find that it produces better again. And so the Lord's actually backing up what he's asking them to do by making the land fertile. So in Exodus 23 verse 10, it says, For six years you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and with your olive grove. Now I love this. He doesn't just go, let it lie fallow, ignore it, and it's just going to sit there and do nothing. He actually goes, no, actually the poor and the needy, the those who don't have land for themselves, who can't provide for themselves, they're going to be able to get um, sustenance from it. So the Lord's going to keep, you know, utilising it so that others can gain from it. But you are not to toil over it. You are to let it rest. And then what happens is that years later, in fact, 490 years later, the Israelites are dragged off into exile in Babylon. Get this, this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 36, 20. Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word the Lord had spoken by Jeremiah. So for 490 years, the Israelites went oh no, who cares? We don't care about the Shemitah. We're not going to give the land a rest. Doesn't need it. We want to work. We want to work the land. And they ignored the command of God. So you know what happened? They got dragged off into exile for how long? 70 years. Exactly the amount of time that they should have allowed the land to rest. So the Lord basically says to them, after 490 years of ignoring his command in regard to resting the land, he goes, I'm going to pay the land back by removing you from it. So the land can have its 70 years rest that you didn't give it one year at a time after every seven years. I'm going to pay the land back. That's how important the Sabbath is to the Lord, that he would actually go out of his way to pay it back to the land by removing the Israelites from it. I find that extraordinary. You know, we think the exiles were all of this done against the people of God, and they were. But at the same time, I wonder how much of God's hand was in, you disobeyed me in this, so I'm going to remove you so the land can have its rest the way that I instructed it must. And then he lets them back. They come back after the 70 years. So you can understand then why um, Shabbat is so important to the Jewish people now because they've learned over time, right? Don't ignore this. Don't ignore it. Ignore it at your peril. So during our trip to Israel, when I discovered what this was like in practice with a, a collective of people who were all on the same page in regard to this, I thought, you know what? It would be so much easier to, to do it like this. If everybody in Melbourne 
shut down for a day, Sabbath would be easy. We don't have that luxury. So we've got to figure out how, where does this fit in our calling with God? Where does this fit in what the Holy Spirit is saying to us? How do we respond to this? Because you can only control what you can control and you can only control your own life. You can't control anyone else's. And so what happens is that we exist in a pace that is constantly go, go, go. And we've got to figure out how do I work toward what God is asking me to do in the midst of this? Is he going to condemn me for it? Well, no, because I'm not an Israelite person. And yes, I have been released from the law. But at the same time, it's a gift from God. So why would I not want to utilize that, especially if he's calling me to? The practice of Sabbath is such a powerful thing in the life of a believer, of someone who follows the Lord, to be able to be restored and recreated and have that time to be able to delight in him. So then we've got to figure out how do I make this work in a culture where everybody doesn't do it? Yeah? So... What I love here is that the Lord says to his people, he says, it's a, it's a Sabbath day of rest, not just for you, but for your sons and your daughters, your maids and your servants, your animals, and the foreigners living among you. Now this, honestly, if you look at it through this lens, this was social action millennia before its time. This was social justice millennia before its time. Guess what? Everyone gets a day off. You could be the richest, most powerful celebrity, but if it's Sabbath, you don't get to be served. You don't get to tell anybody else that they have to serve you because everyone gets a day off. Everyone gets Sabbath. The servants get Sabbath. The animals get Sabbath. Everybody gets to rest and to delight. And what happens is that your society that is tiered and has got all of these different classes and all of these different wealth brackets, it's this great equaliser where everyone is the same. And I love that. I think it's really powerful. So here we are in a Jerusalem hotel. I'm getting frustrated because I'm thinking, well, you know, we're only here for one day and I want to use the pool and the pool's not open. And the response is, well, too bad. Because the pool boy gets to have Sabbath. And I don't care who you are or what you're paying. The pool boy gets to have Sabbath. I go, that's great. There's actually something incredibly powerful about that. So, in the two passages where we read the Ten Commandments, in the Exodus passage where the Ten Commandments is written, it says to remember the Hebrew word is zakor. I'm probably saying that wrong. It's probably like zakor or something like that, which means remember. But in the Deuteronomy Ten Commandments, it says to observe, which is shema. So we basically, when a Jewish family starts their Sabbath, they light two candles. One of them is to remember and one of them is to observe. And the reason is the reason for these two words is that one is saying remember what God did. Remember that when the Lord created, he rested. But the other is saying, observe, in other words, practice. And when you practice it, it's not just a case of practicing it for you, but practicing it for others. So remembering that in the midst of your Sabbath keeping, who are you allowing a break and a rest and a 
an opportunity to restore and delight as well. Not just doing it for yourself, but remembering those around who are also required to rest and delight and be restored. So when you practice it, everyone will be blessed. And so we remember and we observe. So two candles are lit and we say we're remembering that the Lord did this at creation and we're observing it, we're practicing it so that everyone will be blessed, everyone in the family and anybody who wants to participate, which makes it much harder for us because we can't give the pool boy a rest because the pool boy doesn't want to have a rest. But you get the point. Everybody in the family and the dogs, everybody gets a rest. And, and why should it matter to us is one of the, the questions that I have. Because Sabbath keeping in and of itself stands against the human nature to control. It stands against our nature to want to control our own lives and control our own destiny to actually say, I'm going to take the foot off the brake and just allow God to do what he's going to do in me, through me, that today people can live without me, that I know it's amazing to believe, but you actually have a switch on the side of your phone and like when you press it, your phone actually turns off. Did you know that? It's amazing. It's got a switch that turns it off. It's incredible. It's an incredible discovery. And when you press it, no one can get you. You don't have notifications, bing, every two seconds. Your notifications, bing, aren't going off. If your watch is connected to your phone, that's a particular problem for me. If I turn off my phone, I don't even get notifications on my watch. It's brilliant. And so what it means is nobody gets you. And you know what happens? It literally doesn't make any difference. Like, I mean, you know, if somebody dies, they will find a way to contact you. Well, they won't, but somebody else will. (laughs) (laughs) But really, I know, like, you're amazing, you're wonderful, but you're really not that important. And when your phone is off, it really, really will not change the world. So what it does is it stands against our innate belief that we can control everything. It says there is a 24-hour period. God has it. You know, if it really concerns you, you can announce to the world, hey, everybody, I'm switching off for Sabbath. And then they'll understand, oh, why isn't Matt answering his phone? You know, doesn't he care? Can he see? Do I need to turn off the caller ID so he doesn't know it's me because he's just, he's like, he's ghosting me or whatever? No, you just go, hey, everybody, my Sabbath is a Friday and that's just how it is. You can't contact me. And people get used to the rhythm after a period of time. But the other thing that it does is that culturally, what it says is, I honor others enough to let them alone for a period of time, to leave them alone. I honour others to recognise that they deserve this restoration time just as I deserve this restoration time. And what happens is that in our communities we start to respect that and sow into it and honour it and respect it and love it and bless it and advocate for it with each other. And so we are sowing into each other as we choose to keep the Sabbath. I don't know where this quote came from but I think it's good. Israel kept the Sabbath and the Sabbath kept them. And I think this is really, really true 
No other nation in history has managed to keep its culture and language with no land to flourish on or government for more than a, a hundred years or so. And yet when you look at the nation of Israel, for millennia they had no land and no government and they've managed to keep their culture. Why is this? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, because wherever they go throughout the earth, it doesn't matter which country it is, they will commune together. They will basically build their houses in the same community and never more than a Sabbath's walk to a synagogue. Because they're not allowed to walk any further than what you're allowed to walk. It's like 1.3 kilometres or something like that. It might even be less than that. So essentially what happens is that if you build in that community and you only have X amount of area that you can go to get to the synagogue, everybody has to congregate together. That's why whenever you go to a city, you'll find communities of Jewish people all living in one area. And, and so it's because of the Sabbath that's actually kept them in community like that. And so what happens is that you get this building. It's not because oh, we don't want to be a part of the rest of society. It's because we need to be within certain distance of each other and of the synagogue to be able to meet together on the Sabbath. And so then you get this forming of identity and community and this kind of connection that builds and it's grown and developed and stayed their identity and their community for millennia without land. They now have land and without a government, they now have a government. But you'll find pockets all throughout the world where the culture continues to thrive. So when I think about that, I think about us and I think about all of the things that we as the people of God could do with doing better. Identity is one. Culture is another. Uh, a common culture. Uh, community. Strong, firm community where we behave like a village and we support each other and we're nearby each other. All of these things would be profoundly important to us. And if, if Sabbath keeping helps us to bond and helps us to grow in those areas, especially identity, then I think that that's a good and powerful thing. Sabbath creates and preserves identity, culture, and community. So I wanted to look today at the what and why. And next week I want to look a little bit at the how, and we're going to look at how Jesus responded to the Sabbath, because I know we spent all of our time in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It's crunchy and it's good. And it gives us all the foundation that we need for understanding the ministry and the mission of Jesus. We are going to look at Jesus next week. But I just wanted to lay that there as a foundation, really, just so that we could start to churn this over and think, how could this possibly work in my existence? And even to come to the Lord and say, how are you speaking to me about this? What are you saying to me about this? I, I'm not of the position, I don't believe that the Lord condemns us about this. Uh, I, I don't believe that he looks at it and says, you know, I'm going to smite you because you haven't. I actually look at, at the New Testament rulings that the Acts Council made and it does not talk about Sabbath. And yet, I'm inclined to go, if it's a gift that the Lord gives to people, to recharge, to be restored, to recreate, to come close to him. 
and to form our identity and to form our community and our culture, then why would we choose to ignore it? Sabbath keeping is a powerful practice and it's something that I do believe that the Lord is starting to speak to us about and probably in a very new way because when I grew up, in my family, there was a whole thing about Sundays. And Sundays is the day for church and Sundays is the day for worship and you're not allowed to do anything. And then all of a sudden they, they decided they were going to open the shops on Sundays and it was, there was going to be Sunday trading. And all the Christians went out of their mind, crazy. Oh, it's terrible because it's Sabbath and how dare you and all of this kind of thing. And I remember at the time thinking, and my parents said, you're not allowed to go to the shops on Sunday. And I remember at the time thinking, I don't really understand why. And I think that we can get ourselves caught up in a a legalism that doesn't make any sense. And so what I think that the Lord is doing now is he's actually bringing his people to a place where he's going, I want to show you why. I don't want to just tell you what to do. I want to show you why I gave this as a gift and why this is powerful for you and why this is important to you. And not so that you can lord it over the rest of culture and say, oh, well, you know, we're a Christian country and so therefore no one's allowed to do anything on a particular day because we said and because God said, but we can't actually tell you the reasons why, but rather that he would restore it and build it within our spirits in a new and powerful way that makes sense because he explained it that would be a gift to us in our spirit because of what he wants to do in us by his Holy Spirit and that would then set us apart in a way where we could be a light in the darkness and others would see, actually, those guys live better. You talk to those guys, they don't talk about being tired and busy and they seem really proud of it. You talk to those guys, they seem to be recharged. They seem to be firing on all cylinders. They seem to be balanced and happy and calm and... They seem to be the kind of people who have some semblance of control over their lives, even when there's chaos in their lives. Why, why is that, that that there would be a light in the midst of a dark, crazy, manic world and that we would choose not to subscribe to it because of the gift that God has given us with Sabbath practice? So, just in summary, Shabbat is considered important in Scripture. It's built into the essence of creation. Is so much a part of the, that rhythm that the land even needs a Sabbath to thrive. It's a reminder that we're being formed into the likeness of God. It's one day in seven dedicated to God. It's a day of life-giving for us. It's a reminder that ultimately God's grace supplies us, not our own self-sufficiency. It's a gift given by God to bless us. It's a reminder that we're no longer slaves. It's the great equaliser across status or class. It forms and protects our identity and our culture as God's people. It gives us space to restore, recreate and reconnect. If Shabbat is a gift and also a command and it's also a time period God made holy and is blessed by God to give us life and is a repetitive chance for us to be formed into his likeness, the evidence is overwhelming toward us receiving this gift and engaging with it. So I just want to leave you with that, and we're going to continue on with um, the how next week. Can I pray? I thank you, Lord, that you are a giver. You don't take, (laughs) you give. And you gave of yourself at creation, and you gave of yourself on the cross, and you gave of yourself as you gave the law to your people because you wanted to bless and because you are good. 
and everything that you give is good. And so when we read about the law, Lord, you know, for some of us, and I, I certainly know that for years, I believed somehow in this faulty idea that the law that you gave was not good. And, and yet, Lord, we recognise that everything you give is good. And you give everything for a reason. You give everything so that we will be blessed, so that we will be better, so that we will be closer to you. Everything as an opportunity for us to become more like you. And so we thank you for your gifts. And Lord, when it comes to this Sabbath, when it comes to Shabbat, we just want to engage with you in this and have a conversation and recognize that it is a gift that you've given. And for some of us, one that we practice really well, for some of us that we haven't thought about, for some of us that we practice pretty poorly, but at least we're trying. But Lord, we recognize that you gave it. It's a gift for us. And so we want to engage, learn more, and find out what you want us to do with this gift that you hold out in your outstretched arm for us to be blessed and to give us life and to recharge us and to restore us and to grow us more into your likeness. And so I pray, Lord, that over these next days and before we meet next week, that you would speak to us that you would show us steps, you would show us ways forward, that you would pique our curiosity, that you'd remind us that you are ready and waiting to meet with us. Lord, that your desire is to grow us deeper in you, to sustain us, to show us how to thrive and to show us how to be a light in the darkness. And so we give ourselves to you, we pray, speak, your servants are listening and have your way in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.